anyway, I, I, I think it's kind of true that coffee never quite tastes as good as it smells. And I think that in heaven, coffee is going to taste as good as it smells. And bananas, too. Do you know? You know, bananas smell really wonderful, but unless you're lucky enough to live in a place where they grow and you eat them off the tree, they never quite taste as good as they smell, unless you are very hungry. Now, one time, Diane Wilkinson, she's not here, so I can tell this story about her. Anyway, Diane and I were um, training for an 18K mountain bike, bicycle, bicycle, mountain bicycle uh, race. And before you get very impressed, I want to tell you that that was my first and last training session, and I never went through with the race. I got sick and couldn't do it. But anyway, we cycled 10 miles in mud and rain and cold. And by the time we got to the end of that, we were so hungry. But all we had in the car were four bananas. And we gobbled them down. And I will always remember Diane's face and saying, this banana is heavenly. And it was. There's nothing like food when you are really hungry. It not only nourishes us, but it satisfies and pleases us as well. And isn't God wonderful for designing that way? He makes us hunger so we'll get the nourishment that we need, but he also makes it so that the nourishment that we need is pleasing to us and satisfying. And so as we get that, as we're satisfied and pleased with getting that nourishment, he builds us up to get on out there and do the good work that he's prepared for us to do and live out that life that he's given us. And I think the same thing is true of Christian community. God has placed in us a hunger for community. And when that hunger is met, we're not only built up and made strong, but it's satisfying as well, like good food after a long day's work. And not only are we nourished by our community, but we nourish each other as well so that we're made strong and we're built up and we can get out there to do what we were made to do and to be the body of Christ that we were made to be in the world so today, I'm going to be talking about nourishing community. And, um, but before I do, I just want to fix this and uh, also talk a little bit, just as a reminder, this is our second women's breakfast where we've talked about community. And our last meeting, we talked about building community. So I want to review just a little bit about what I said at that time. So I believe that our hunger for community is part of our DNA as believers in Jesus Christ. It's part of who we are as image bearers of God, because God is a community, the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in perfect love and perfect relationship. And that perfect love of God overflows and creates more people to love, people to be involved in this loving community and in relationship and through the life and work of his son, God has invited us together to be a part of his perfect community of love and relationship. So building community is not so much about what we do with programs and plans or buildings, though so this is wonderful and lovely to be. We, building community is more about what we're invited to be a part of. It's about being invited to live in community with this God who loves us and with others. And it's about living out this community of love and relationship so the world can see it and want to be a part of it too. 
So how do we nourish this community that we've been invited to be a part of? How do we provide a place where people can be fed and built up and made strong so that they can live the life that God has for them, a life of love and service to God, to each other, and to this world? In the gospel parables, the kingdom of God is often presented as a great banquet. So I want to look at nourishing community as like providing a banquet that feeds our hunger and sends us out strengthened in body and spirit to serve others and to invite them back and share in our banquet too. So what do you think of when you think of a banquet? Any ideas? We lived in China, and it was an even number of lots of dishes, a lot of dishes. Yeah? Yeah? What else do you think of when you think of a banquet? Wine. Wine, okay. (laughs) Okay, wine, good food. Quality food. A lot of washing up sometimes, yeah? Lots of fun, yeah? Good, okay. Ah, head of the table. Oh, very good idea. Let's hold that in mind. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, when we think about this banquet that I'm talking about, I don't want us to think about some 10-course meal in a five-star hotel with lots of, oh, there could be wine flying. But I want us to think about an enormous bring-and-share supper where everyone brings what they have and everyone gets exactly what they need. So have you ever tried to plan a bring-and-share supper with other people? My house group tries this a lot. And I find it funny how there are some people who want to plan so that everything is covered, main dishes, vegetables, desserts, puddings, as you would say. And then there are other people who say, oh, just let everybody bring what they want to bring and see what happens. No fuss. <laughs> well, I'm, you wouldn't believe this if you knew me about other things, but I'm in that last group. I think with a bring-and-share supper, everybody should just bring what they like to cook. And usually, it all gets covered somehow. And even if it doesn't, you usually have too many puddings. And really, is that a problem? I'm I'm happy to have pudding for dinner every now and then. Uh, As I said before, we, we lived in Singapore before we moved here. And my husband and I were the wardens for the students, the married students and their families, at the theological college where my husband taught. And every month, we had a big bring and share supper And we told everybody, just bring what you were going to cook for dinner that night anyway, trying to keep it simple. And we had students from all over the world, really, but mainly in Asia. And we had such good food, my mouth waters when I think about it, that at our very first bring and share supper, there was no rice. No one brought rice. Everyone thought somebody else was going to bring the rice. Now, for those of you who have ever lived in Asia, or you know that a meal is not a meal without rice. It's a big problem. In fact, uh, somebody's going to have to help me here. In Chinese, when you ask someone, have you eaten? You say, have you eaten rice? It's not a meal if you haven't eaten rice. So we had this little disaster, and then the next time, we had way too much rice. (laughs) But at least everybody felt like they'd really eaten a meal. But over time, we did manage to get it all worked out, and everybody kind of brought different things, and we all got what we needed. And it turned out that what I brought every time, because it was the easiest possible thing I could do when I was working and planning this dinner, was spaghetti with canned sauce. The children loved it. It's what they waited for every month, to have my spaghetti with canned sauce. So there was a lesson in that for me, 
that it wasn't how much time I spent in the kitchen or how much I spent on the food, but it really was just being together and having a good time. To have a bring and share supper really work for everyone, I think you need three things. You need time, you need space, and you need enough food for everyone to eat. And there will always be enough food if everyone brings what they have to the table. I think the reason we sometimes struggle with community is that we struggle with these three things. Many of us struggle with simply making time to sit down and be together. Many of us struggle with clearing a space in our busy hearts and lives for someone to just sit down next to us. It could be somebody that we don't know or we don't have anything in common with except our common hunger and our place at this table. But I think the biggest thing most of us struggle with is bringing what we have to the table. Maybe we think that what we have isn't good enough and that we're going to be left embarrassed taking home a full platter of food. Or maybe we think that when it comes to feeding the whole hungry community, what we have is just not enough. And what we have isn't enough. It is never enough. And that's the glorious thing about God's community and God's economy. What we have is never enough to meet the hunger before us. But when we offer it to God, when we put it on the table, he makes it enough. He makes it more than enough. And don't we learn that from the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? I know it's a familiar story. We've all heard it. We've all read it. Maybe all of us have. And anyway, I want to read it to you again. And I just want you to try to hear it in a fresh way. So you might want to close your eyes, or you might just imagine that you're there in the scene. And what I'm reading is a kind of compilation from the Gospels of Mark and John. Is this working? Is um, before I read it, though, I just want to kind of set the stage for the events. So Jesus has sent the apostles out two by two, and they've gone out into the villages preaching the gospel, and they've been healing people and seeing people respond as they've invited them to be a part of the kingdom of God. So they come back really tired, but thrilled with what they've seen. And Jesus has also just been told that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod. So you have this, these two situations before this that I'm reading about. So now I'm going to read from Mark. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place for, and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, 
It would take more than six months' wages to buy enough bread for these people. Should we go and try to buy that to give them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten them. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And that's not counting the women and children. So Jesus and his disciples were tired, and they were hungry, and they were doing so much that they didn't even have time to eat, and they were grieving over the terrible news about the death of John the Baptist. So Jesus took them away to a desolate place so that they could be restored, but even there the crowds are just following them and making demands on them. Their need is so great, and Jesus has compassion on them, and he feeds them, he, well, spiritually in the beginning. He's healing them and teaching them all day long. So the disciples know that the people need to eat, and they bring this need to Jesus. Jesus, send them away so they can get something to eat. And what does he say? You feed them. You feed them. How could they possibly feed all those people? So Jesus asks, well, what have you got? And they find the boy who was willing to part with his dinner. I wonder, were there other people there that day who had brought food but just wouldn't give it up? Were they afraid that if they gave it away, there wouldn't be enough for them and their families? Were they just, they realized that what they had couldn't possibly meet the need of all those people? Did this boy think he was giving his dinner to Jesus? I like to think that. Here, Jesus, you can have mine. He surely couldn't have known what Jesus was going to do with it, and yet he gave it. He gave it all. And Jesus took this ridiculously small amount of food and gave thanks to God for it and broke it and made it enough for everyone there with more besides, 12 baskets left over. That little boy gave all he had to Jesus, and no, it wasn't enough, but Jesus made it more than enough. Think of how blessed that little boy was when he went home that day. Hey, Mom, you'll never guess what happened with that lunch you packed for me. (laughs) But aren't we so much like the disciples? We see the need. We see the need in our community, and we bring those needs to Jesus. We ask him to help, to heal, to provide, to feed. And what does he say? You feed them. You do it. How can we have enough? How can what we have ever be enough? to feed the hunger of our community and our world. And still Jesus tells us to feed them and asks us, what have you got? And we all have got something that we can offer. We have the very selves that God has made us to be with our gifts, our personalities, our experiences, 
and the unique offering that only we can bring to the table. Each and every one of us has something to bring to the table in God's great big bring and share supper. And when we bring what we have to Jesus, he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he shares it. Does that sound familiar? Jesus took the bread, he broke it, blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Taken, blessed, broken, given. In his book, The Life of the Beloved, Henri Nouwen uses these words to summarize his life as a Christian. As a Christian, I'm called to be bread for the world, bread that is taken, blessed, broken, given. I think these words summarize for us what it means to be a part of God's nourished and nourishing community. Our lives are the bread we share. We give ourselves to God. He takes us. He blesses us. He breaks us. And he gives us. He gives us to others, multiplying what was not enough and making it more than enough to meet the needs that we face. It's the breaking of the bread that's the hard part, isn't it? It's painful sometimes to be broken, but bread has to be broken to be shared. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we're all broken. We're broken by our own choices, by other people's choices. We're broken by just living in a world that has suffering and illness and death. But when we share our brokenness, we feed others. Being shared can be very painful, but it nourishes others and it nourishes ourselves. I think, I know some of you, as I even look out in this room, have experiences of brokenness that I can't even begin to know. But I just want to share a little bit of this experience that I have in a small way um, that I've developed as I've kind of gone through as I've developed relationships with younger moms. I've shared before how in the past, especially when I first came here, I was really at a loss. I didn't know what was God, God was doing in my life, what he wanted me to do. I just felt lost, and it was a painful time for me. I didn't know what I had to give here. And so I decided to just offer what I had myself. I'm a mom. I raised my children in foreign countries far away from my family. I've been trying to follow Jesus for a lot of years, and I've struggled, and I've failed, and I've seen God work faithfully in my life. And so I thought, that's, that's what I have, that's what I can offer. So I started getting together with moms, and I started helping in the Monday Moms Crash. And meeting, I'm not even going to look over at some of you, meeting with the moms and their children has been a wonderful source of joy and nourishment for me. But it's painful because so many of them move on. And I'm always saying goodbye. And I think if you live in this community, you know what that's like. And now at the end of another university term, many of us are getting ready for another painful round of goodbyes. So there were once these two twin baby boys in the Monday Mums crush named Nolan and Barrett. Some of you will remember them. And their mom, she was an amazing woman, coming a long way, driving a long way to come to Monday Moms with these twins who did not like coming to Monday Moms. <laughs> they were inconsolable. 
when she brought them to the crush. And they became my project. So you could often see me singing the hokey pokey with two crying babies on my hips. Or you know, I just, I just wanted her to be able to enjoy that time at Monday Moms. And so in the beginning, there was always one of them crying hysterically. But then as time went on, they'd still cry, but then they could toddle in and they'd wave and they'd run and give me a hug and then cry and wave goodbye to their mom. And then finally at the end, less tears. And it was, it was really wonderful. They really just crawled right into my heart. And then it was time for them to go back to the U.S. So their family had my family over for dinner before they left. And my last memory of those little boys is them standing at their window with their little blankets, blowing me kisses goodbye. And I held it together until we got on the road. And then the tears came. And I said, I just cannot do that again. But of course I can. And I did. And I will. Sharing in the lives of others is painful because families move on and I may never see them again. And they take a little bit of my heart with them when they go. And it's painful, thank you. It's painful because many of those children that have been really important to me will never remember me. If Nolan and Bear ran in this room right now, they wouldn't know who I was. But I would know them. And so I sometimes wonder if my time in their lives has made any difference at all. And I'm comforted by a story that I heard about a pastor who had preached a sermon. I'm using American terms here. Pastor had preached a sermon. And um, a man from his congregation came up to him and said, Pastor, I've been listening to you preach Sunday after Sunday for more than 17 years. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure I can remember a single sermon that you preached. (laughs) I know, imagine. So another man in the congregation had heard this sermon. And he went home and he wrote a note to the pastor and he said, Pastor, my wife has been cooking me dinner for more than 20 years. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I could recall a single meal that she cooked for me. But I was nourished by it. I may not be able to remember a sermon that you've preached, but I know that I was nourished by it. Nolan and Barrett may not remember me or anyone else here at St. Andrews who's invested in their lives, but they were nourished by it. They were fed, and that's been a part of who they are as they go out into the world. Our lives have the power to nourish when we share them with others. Sometimes we see the results, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes the little bit we offered is multiplied so many times over that we know it's a miracle. 25 years ago, my husband Tom and I were teaching English in China with our two sons, who were one and not quite three. We had already been in China for two years, and we had moved to a new city, and it had been a really difficult time for me up until that point. We lived in a remote place. I didn't have a lot of support. I had two babies, and I went through a very, very severe postnatal depression. I felt very broken in my motherhood. And we moved to this new city, and we met this young man, an English student named Xiao O. And Xiao O brought his fiancée, Luli, to us, and um, they wanted to improve their English. So we offered what we had, an English-speaking family. So they came and shared our lives. They came and cooked with us and ate with us. And 
They shared in our bedtime routines with the boys. We read Bible stories. We sang songs. In fact, sometimes when we weren't there, our kids would take them in the room and get out their guitars and sing Christian songs to them. We prayed with them, and they just participated in our life as a family. Now, they weren't Christians, and they didn't come to faith when they were with us. They moved on to their workplace, and we introduced them to other friends who were believers who got let them be a part of their lives, and they came to faith in that place. So they emigrated to Canada, and recently they, um, they visited us here when they brought their daughter to come and study in the UK. It was the first time I'd seen them since we were in China. My husband's seen them and been in touch with them. But while they were here, they told us how much we'd meant to them and how much watching how we had raised our children had helped them to raise theirs. I had felt broken in my motherhood, and I felt like what I had to offer wasn't even enough to take care of myself, let alone to offer to anybody else. But what we had offered was what we had, and God used it to nourish them. But he did more than that. He did a miracle of multiplication. Xiao and Liu Li are not only believers who have raised two children to love and serve God, and that's a miracle too because they could only have one child, so they adopted another needy child. They are also leaders in their church in Toronto, loving and serving many there, and are also leaders in a church in China where they go for part of the year to do business. It's amazing, this church. Their church reaches out to their world, helping the poor, providing medical care, bringing light and life in a dark place. I am so humbled by the magnitude of their faith and their works. God multiplying what we offered, what others offered, our little bit of what we had. God taking what we had to offer and making it more than enough. We are called to feed each other at God's great bring and share supper. None of us has enough to meet the hunger at this table, but Jesus still says to us, you feed them, and asks us, what have you got? And each of us has got something. We have the very selves he's made us, our personalities, our experiences, the gifts he's given us, They may not seem like much to us, and they certainly aren't enough to feed everyone at the table. But when we offer what we have to Jesus, he takes us, blesses us, breaks us, and gives us to each other, nourishing our community. The needs at our table are great. Lonely people need visits. Older people need rides to lunch club. Young people need mentors. Moms need companions. Sick people need prayed for, the grieving need comfort, the discouraged need hope. The list goes on and on. The person may in need may be sitting right next to you at these tables, or they may be sitting next to you in the church service. Will you make the time and space in your life to turn to them and offer what you've got? What have you got? Who has God made you to be? What life experience have you got to share? What gifts, and especially what brokenness, have you got to offer? Someone in our community is hungry for them. No, what we have is never enough. But when we give it to God, he takes it and makes it more than enough. And that's how our community is nourished. So I'd like to just take a moment, just for a quick prayer, maybe just some quiet 
for you to ask God, what is it? What is it that you have to offer? What can you bring to our table to be shared with someone else? And then commit yourself to just putting it there, no matter how small or insignificant it seems. Let's just take a moment. Father, I know that every person in this room is loved by you, created by you, and given unique gifts to do something that you have created for them to do that only they can do. So I pray right now you would speak to our hearts and show God calling. (laughs) Show us what that is. And give us a willingness to give what we have.